three, two, one. Podbean election edition continues with Coretta Jackson here, candidate for Ward 7. That ward is going to have a primary on February 23rd. So that is very early. That's coming up here. Voting has already started. So if you're in Ward 7, go ahead and um, get out there and get organized with who you're going to vote for there. And then uh, that will set everything up for the uh, general election on April 6th. So before we talk to Coretta, just want to thank Little Beaver Brewery for their sponsorship of the election edition. You know, one of my favorite scenes from Cheers was when Cliff was talking about how it's really good to drink a cold beer on a cold day because it equalizes the internal and external temperature. So people might be thinking it's way too cold to have a beer, but there's actually science behind that. It actually makes you feel better because your insides are cold like your outsides. And uh, when, he, when he says that, then uh, Diane says, well, why do you drink a cold beer on a hot day? And he says, well, what else are you going to do with it? So hot or cold, I hope you go out to Little Beaver Brewery and go grab a drink from them. And with that, I welcome you, Coretta, to the podcast. Hello. Hi, Tyson. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And I got Jeremy here, too. Hi, Jeremy. Hello. Jeremy's here as well. Jeremy's here as well. Who's the other guy? Hi, Jeremy. How are you? No, no, nobody's here to hear from me. They're all here to hear from you. I get it. It's good. <laughs> so, uh, first, just start off with the basics here. Um, you know, what led you to want to take on this challenge of of running for a seat and um, you know potentially having this having this big responsibility on this, the council? Yes, big responsibility it is. Um, well, I just want to just give a kind of brief overview of who I am because my name does does not ring bells uh, in Bloomington Normal. So uh, let's see, where do I start? I am a mom of three, grandmother of two. I've got two furnagers, if you can consider your dog a teenager. I've got two of those. Um, I've been a Bloomington resident for, let's see, it's been 19 years now. Um, I came from Chicago, was born and raised in Chicago. Um been there for 19 years. I am a former early childhood educator. Um, I did that for the better half of a decade here. Um, I've taught at Heartland Head Start and um, the YWCA Child Care Center. I've also taught at Little Jules Learning Center. So I've had the the gamut of centers and and schools um, in terms of early childhood education. Um, also uh, worked in the social services field for quite some time as a caregiver. Um, and then also I worked um, for a short period of time um, at the McLean County Center for Human Services um, at their rooming house, um, located coincidentally in Ward 7. Um, things I've done in the community, I have been uh, a cheer coach with the JFL, I actually took on the responsibility of being a Girl Scout troop leader, which was probably the most daunting task um, of volunteer work that I think I've done in Bloomington. Um, That troop was at Sheridan Elementary and it was multi-level troop. So I did had girls from kindergarten all the way up. Um, I've also also I've. um, I'm a member of Sigma Gamma Rho Sorority Incorporated, and with uh, the organization, I am the community service chair, so I do get a lot of experience developing partnerships uh, with uh, different agencies and entities within the Bloomington Normal community. Uh, currently, i just kind of excited about the partnership with the Juvenile Detention Center to support their classroom that they have there. So just in general, me being 
in the community per se, not so much on a large scale, uh, primarily through through my membership with Sigma Gamma Rho, but also just just being an individual, um, just giving of myself when I could and and how I could. Um, I also am a graduate from Heartland and ISU both. Um, Heartland, I was on the education track, and then when I got to ISU, I studied political science and sociology, um, which kind of sums up kind of why I wanted to run. Number one reason why I wanted to run, and we joked about this prior to recording, um, it's the voter turnout in Bloomington and particularly Ward 7. I really think that it's time for us to become very serious about being civically and politically engaged. Um, Being a passive bystander in your life is just something that just doesn't sit well with me. And I you know, feel that the you know with Ward Seven in particular, and and Bloomington on the larger scale, when it comes to being civically and politically engaged, um, we we have a a knack for focusing on those that are engaged, and just assuming that the rest will fall by the wayside or catch up as opposed to reaching back and pulling those up to say, we want you here, we want your voice, and we want it to be heard. So the drive that gave me to run was a low, low vote, excuse me, voter turnout. And then also being a resident of Ward 7, the 19 years I've been in Bloomington, the bulk of those years have been spent on the West Side. And I will say proudly spent on the West Side. I absolutely love it here. But the West Side lacks. Ward 7 lacks, and there needs to be a voice to say we lack, we need, and the general consensus, and I, you know, I'm not speaking for everyone, but the trust in government and elected officials has dissipated almost to it being non-existent, and I mean, that does stem from the shenanigans that we've seen on the national and state levels in politics. So it does deter people from becoming invested in local local politics and municipal elections. So being able to just kind of rally the troops, so to speak, to, to make sure that we all have, we, we all have a stake in Bloomington, but to make sure that we're pushing forward and in, 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 really including everybody in what is happening in Bloomington. Uh, we've got, there, there, there's a lot of potential in this town for a lot of good things to happen. So I, the responsibility of representing Ward 7 is a big one, but at this time I do feel like that it's something that I am ready and willing to take on. Coretta, you make a great point of, um, the, the voter turnout numbers really can impact. I mean, as listeners know, this is a primary in this case. So you have five candidates, only two come out and you might be talking only a hundred, 200 voters exactly. uh, to, to get into the top two. So I just kind of want to stress to everybody listening. I mean, if, if you're in Ward 7, uh, don't think that just one or two people don't make an impact it, in this sort of race. It absolutely it does. I mean, we can even look back at the the election and recently, the last section in normal was it 11 votes that decided the mayoral election. So it's that it's that whole idea that people think their vote doesn't matter when in all actuality, it is the most important vote you could cast. So what are, um, what are some of the things that you think you can do to try to help spur that awareness and engagement? Just by number one, me being myself. Um, I think that 
part of the issue with the the lack of trust is not knowing who people are. Um, you get people who come into uh, politics and they have no backing from PACs. They have no backings from big organizations. And I mean, those people are me. <laughs> you know, I'm just a regular average everyday Ward 7 resident who, who just wants better. But at the same time, I also know that restructuring should and can occur within government. So I, I want to be that bridge candidate to give people somebody to look at to say, hey, I know her and I know she doesn't have a hidden agenda and no, she doesn't have a big backing and she doesn't have a, you know, a big, a big following. I just want people to understand that it doesn't, it doesn't take a large fanfare to, to be able to serve people mm-hmm. and to serve them justly. It, 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 yeah. What's uh, what's something that comes to mind where you feel like um, you know, it's happened in the last few years? Something has happened where you feel like if more people knew about it, there could have been a better decision made or maybe people would have been able to uh, you know, reach out and get in touch with their representative if, if they'd known. What, what comes to mind there? Oh, oh there's quite a few things. Um, the more recently O'Neill, the O'Neill park and pool. Mm-hmm. Um, I did, um, attend those forums that were held. And I mean, I was somebody that was excited because I mean, I used to live directly across the street from the pool and it's just the thing I've raised all my kids here. They all went to Sheridan. So O'Neill, I, we call it our pool. It's, it's, it's our pool. And it was after the forum was released, uh, via the media, I was looking on social media and people were like, oh my God, this is great. How come I didn't know about this? And I'm thinking it's kind of, is it a lack of awareness or is it a lack of presentation? So it, it you can't say in one direction, which, which could be faulted more for it not being aware, but I really wish people would have contributed more to that because there are, you know, O'Neill, they're bringing a lot of great things to O'Neill, but there are some things that had there been a lot more community involvement, there's some questions that still are lingering as to, you know, the, the accessibility of the splash pad and, um, you know, the, the, um, the immediate renovation of the pool and, and, and the, the, the the house at the pool and then thinking further into the rest of the park. What, what is that all going to look like? Um, other things in Ward 7 that I think the community should have had a lot more transparency on is the potential grocery store that is supposed to come to Market Street. Um, I can sit on my front porch and look at the empty lot and it's becoming depressing by the day and knowing that this has been a project that has been in the works for quite some time, even as a Ward 7 resident who attended the meeting at Mount Pisco when they unveiled the, the potential project. Um, from that point to demolition, there was a huge gap in information for the community. So I just kind of feel like that's another project where if people knew that that is really something that it that should and the city wants for it to come to fruition, then we do need more involvement. But there also needs to be more information behind it. And right now it's kind of a hanging in the balance project in terms of funding. And, you know, recently um, finding out that the owner of the property had passed away. So those are just two projects in Mm -hmm. Ward 7, I think, 
could have been broadened and would have encouraged people to want to become, you know, involved and want to know more about what's happening. Sure. Um, taking a step back a little bit, we like to ask everyone to explain what their ward is. Like, so what, what is, where is, if you were going to describe ward seven to someone who's not familiar with the map, um, how would you describe it both kind of like geographically and then also maybe like, what's the feel of ward seven in your, in your mind? Okay. So geographically ward seven, um, I've shown people the, the map and it's like jaw dropping. So you have, you know, far West, you have interstate center, Walmart. I like to describe it to people. We've got market street from Walmart to Mason. And in terms of North to South Division Street, and a lot of people don't realize where Division Street is. I just tell them the street behind Kroger. That's on Main. So just to kind of give them a semi-North, because it, you know, it's the way it's shaped is weird. It juts down and includes the area. It includes the area by White Oak Park. It also includes the area near O'Neill Park. But then you have all the way over. You include Illinois Wesleyan University, and then the South stretches down to Washington. So it's. The heart of the west side, neighboring right next to six, you know, it's just on the other side of downtown. Um, so geographically, that's kind of how I give the people a, a, a visual of mm -hmm. uh, how big the area is. Um, and then in terms of a feel of Ward 7, it is so diverse that you kind of have to break it down. I guess you can consider it by precinct, but, you, you know, you have the Illinois Wesleyan students. They're, you know, a demographic all of their own. And they're sometimes the forgotten about demographic in Ward 7. You know, most of the time when people think university students, they automatically jump to Illinois State. And, and they don't think about Wesleyan. And then when they do think about college students, what's the first thing we think about college students? They're ruining our town. They're partying. Our property values are going down because of what they're doing. And that's not the case. So you have the students that are over here, but then you also have... Uh, we have two housing developments in Ward 7. So you have the opposite end of the, the, the SES where, you know, you've got people that are struggling on a daily basis uh, to make ends meet. Um, and then there are people, then there's the in-between. So with Ward 7 being such a diverse ward, typically people kind of have like these blanket ideas and these, these blanket projects that will suit everybody. But with Ward 7, because it, it is so diverse and, I, you know, it's, you know, you kind of have to divvy up your your services, you know, because what the Wesleyan students need may not be the same needs of the individuals that live in Houghton Homes or even the John P.K. Homes, which sit behind Houghton Homes, where we have elderly residents. So demographically, Ward 7, I like to call it, it's really pretty solid. You know, people like to say, you know, soup pot. I don't like to say soup pot because when you put everything in the pot, everything melts and gets melted together. Mm -hmm. Or seven is this big, pretty salad. So you've got your bright red tomatoes and you got your, your spinach. I prefer spinach over lettuce, but you know, you've so got it. You're on the record. Let's, let's delve record into like that. Spinach. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> hard, hard hitting. We both went there, yeah. I'm a spinach person and I like to grow my own. We'll pin you down on that one. That'll be the big headline tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, you know, I, I like, and I think that's what makes Ward 7 a, a really great war because you Ward 7, to me, is representative of Bloomington. You know, you have some wards that are heavily saturated with, with one particular demographic. You can come to Ward 7, and you can get 
everything. You you know, we have the big, huge businesses like Walmart and we have the gas stations like Pilot. But if you come further down Market Street, you have small businesses like a cut above barbershop. And then you've got Chestnut, you know, behind. So Ward 7 to me is kind of that special ward. It's, it's the, hey, don't count us out ward because we're here and it's a lot. We, we do contribute a lot to the city. Hey, Coretta, you, uh, you've talked about a lot. I mean, all the diversity, all the different issues that there's, there's a lot going on in the town. Um, so kind of frame it in that if you were in charge of, we, you're elected and then day one, we said, Coretta, you get to pick, uh, what's the agenda? What's, what's the number one issue that Bloomington's going to focus on other than everybody eating their spinach? <laughs> Um, what 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 issue uh, in your mind kind of rises to the top of, hey, day one, this is the first thing that I would do if, if I was given that power? Okay, so the things that I would, you know, think that we really need to do, the primary thing is reinvesting into the community. So that's a really broad thing, right? So what does reinvesting in the community look like? Um, thinking... Post, you know, everybody's thinking post-COVID. That's the, the the number one thing. How are we going to bounce back from COVID? And not just speaking economically. We're talking about how are we going to bounce back? How are our students going to bounce back? How are people's mental health and physical health going to bounce back? So if, you know, first first day, reinvesting into the community, and we can do that in several different ways. So we're investing in the health of the community, reinvesting in the wealth of the community, and then also the education. Because if we're thinking long-term, Primarily, it would be the education for me. We're thinking long term. We have Illinois Wesleyan right in Ward 7. We have two schools and we have the school. Uh, we have Sheridan in, in Ward 7 and we have uh, one high school in Bloomington. Um, I would personally like to see us invest in education at all levels. I don't know if you guys are familiar with something called the Kalamazoo Promise, where um, in Kalamazoo, Michigan, there is a bunch of private donors pledge to pay 100% of college tuition to Michigan um, state schools and universities for students who go through the Kalamazoo School District, right? So we have a beautiful school district. Love District 87 raised all three of my kids through the entire school district. But we, you know, we're, we're raising our kids and, you know, they're going through the elementary schools in District 87 and then they're going to go to the high school. And then after, what are we what are we doing to really support our kids? And most most kids are like, hey, I'm ready to go. I'm leaving Bloomington. But we have great we have great schools here, you know, and finances is probably the number one thing that stops a lot of people from going to college because everybody doesn't exceed academically and everybody doesn't fall into the first generation college student category. You know, there are some people that meet that midpoint that college is not financially feasible by their budget, but to the world it is. So if we can support educating the District 87 kids and and having something similar to the Kalamazoo Promise, where parents in Bloomington Normal can can kind of rest easy with their kids going through school to know that if my kid goes through District 87 from kindergarten through high school, then, hey, school's free. If they pick a state school or or university, it's free. That can relieve a huge burden. Again, that student may choose Illinois State. And, you know, with Wesleyan being a private university, that may spark them to, you know, join in to some something similar. And then further investing in the college students. What is the city of Bloomington 
and I'm going to include the town of Normal as well. What are we doing to incentivize the Wesleyan students to keep their Bloomington education in Bloomington? After their four years, most college students, they're blowing the popsicle stand. They're out of here. They're not even considering staying, you know, but then they're going back to going back home to big cities like Chicago and trying to find that that first shot, that that one to three year experience that they need to get their fit in the field. Why can't our local businesses partner with the city and partner with Wesleyan to offer that? to offer a program where they can graduate and get their feet wet in the field here in Bloomington. And that may incentivize them to stay past the one year or the two years or whatever. So we're reinvesting. And I'm, I'm, I say education primarily because everybody, we always talk about the future and everybody has plans to do everything, but we seem to forget that our future does include our elementary, junior high, high school, and our college students that are in Bloomington. And if we want to continue to grow in Bloomington and we want to continue to, to develop economically, we have to invest in our people. And if we are educating the future in Bloomington, then we should be able to benefit from that education and keep that, that social capital here in Bloomington. It totally makes sense, uh, given your background, especially all the education passion. We're here, we're here in passion for education. You know, clear, clear as day there. Um, my son went went to Bloomington. Uh, he's at a different high school now, and, and Tyson's uh, kids are in in District 87. So you're speaking to two people that that have been through that. I I went there myself, you know, at a younger age. So um, totally totally on board on the District 87. I guess the pushback uh, on on some of these ideas, you know, the Kalamazoo promise, for example, if, if, if we were to do that in Bloomington, I mean, everybody's going to say, how do you pay for that? Where does that money come from? Um, what, what would kind of be your answer? I, I know to some degree it's that, Hey, we should have this, right? right. Um, we'll figure out the details later. And I I'm hearing that from you, but, but there is an element of, you know, then the pushback says, okay, well, where do we get that money from? Or you know, you can't just make a promise, go here, we got to pull that money from somebody else and take away a promise sort of thing. So what, what would be kind of your, your thought or response on that? Well, the Kalamazoo Promise is funded by donors. You know, we right. have, there's every, every educational institution in Bloomington Normal has an alumni association and they don't lack donors. Why can't we have District 87 alumni, other agencies, there's ways. This Kalamazoo Promise is funded by private donors. People give. And it. this would be one of those things to kind of say, hey, we really need to put our money where our mouth is. Not per se the city, you know, because of course, if you, another quote unquote pet project does bring the pushback, it's always the how are we going to pay for this? This is how Kalamazoo, Michigan is paying for this. It is people re investing in the community it has been you know they've done studies behind the Kalamazoo promise and it shows that it increases enrollment in public schools it it increases you know college acceptance and increases college graduation levels the first cohort of Kalamazoo promise kids just graduated high school in 2006 so they're all they've been in the world you know producing from a chance that they might not have had had it not been for the promise and for the private donors that funded it. So all, you know, in terms of funding, yes, I can say people give people reach into their pockets and they give. And if, you know, we, you know, governments take models from other cities for certain things, right. To, to, to make things function. I love the model that the Kalamazoo promise has. I love it. But just, 
just to clarify what you're saying, if I'm hearing you right, then is you're not necessarily advocating, hey, we need to set this up, Bloomington, uh, the, the city of Bloomington pay for everything and that instead it's more, hey, this is a good idea, an example of, uh, of reinvesting in your people. If we could create systems like this or encourage donors or whatnot to do that, you're, you're more for those sort of plans, but you're not you're not saying, hey, we need to have the city allocate the hundred million dollars or what, whatever. No, no, that that would be completely no, 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 Jerry, that's not it. No, like I said, I was just giving the education as an example of how we can reinvest. And knowing that the Kalamazoo Promise has been successful in that manner, the people, the city of Bloomington have no problems giving, none. That is the one thing I love about Bloomington is that when there's a time of need, I don't care if it's a dollar or a hand or a word of advice, the people of Bloomington will rally together to give. And I don't, I can't think of a better group of people to give and invest in than young people. I, I, I just don't think so. Yes. The education was just an example of how we can reinvest. You know, we can re- reinvest in the wealth, the wealth of our, our local business owners. We've got so many people in this town with so much talent and, you know, businesses that may never leave their kitchens or may never leave their dining rooms because they don't have the opportunity or they don't have, you know, the knowledge. So, uh, you know, being able to pour into our, our independent business owners is another way to reinvest. So, yeah. Well, I, I really love where you're going with that. Um, it's one of the reasons why I wanted to do the podcast because usually we're interviewing people who are doing all kinds of stuff around the community. And it's something that strikes me is that we have such a, a deep skill set and also such a generosity of spirit here in Bloomington Normal. We've got people who are spending a lot of time helping other people. And there's a, just such a, a broad and deep skill set in so many ways here that I think sometimes we jump to the easy solution of like, we need to hire a consultant or we need to have some kind of government sponsored activity when really all it would take would be leadership to get the right people with the passion connected with the people who need them. So I love hearing that. Um, So we're about halfway through here. So like I warned you about, we're going to do the lightning round to signal the halfway point. Jeremy, you kick that off. Yeah, so we we just, I don't know if you've heard this before, but we throw out a couple words, issues, concepts, looking for kind of first thing that comes to your mind, super short, like one, one three words sort of thing. Um, if you went five words, you know, we wouldn't scream too much, but just just kind of that short, short, quick, uh, first thing that pops to your mind. So all Bloomington related, and the first one is downtown Bloomington. Excited to see more. Uh, next is Connect Transit. Hmm. Panagraph location. Okay. Uh, next one is O'Neill Pool. Make it as affordable as it is fine. Uh, oh, wow, it's a lighter word. Bloomington Public. Yeah, yeah, you get. I made you the poli side. Give me a break. You get extra. You get extra words if it's a word. If it's a word specific topic. (laughs) Just kidding. You can say what you want. (laughs) Um, Next is Bloomington Public Library. Please approve the expansion. (laughs) Uh, Next is Constitution Trail. Hmm. 
I'd like it over here if that counts. <laughs> and then the final one is uh, economic development. Poor entire people develop them economically. So hot topic that we want to, I, I think there's a few of those I want to touch on again, but I don't want to, I want to make sure that we talk about COVID a little bit because that's the big topic right now. And, um, you know, current council members didn't have any way of seeing this coming, but the, those who are joining, you know, you know, kind of what you're walking into here. So what is, what is your view of what needs to be done by the city council um, for, for the COVID situation, either what's been done well so far, what's, um, what's not been done well, you know, kind of just share your thoughts on that topic. Ooh, hot button, hot topic it is. Um, well, speaking of COVID, I will say this. Um, the one thing I will say that the city did do a pretty good job on was just basically following guidelines, right? So COVID is something that's really, it started out, is a big confusing thing, right? You have information coming from this side, you have information coming from here to the point where it was, it turns into just a bunch of misinformation. Um, the city um, with, you know, closing everything and not really having uh, a, a dead set plan, you know, I mean, nobody ever had a plan to move forward is just kind of, you know, taking it step by step. So what I think the city did well was to kind of monitor to make sure that they were keeping up with what, you know, the, the health department and, and higher, you know, higher up, up, excuse me, what's the word I'm looking for? Parties. Yes. Thank you. Those involved, the, 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 the scientists, the, the people with the knowledge, those, <laughs> those people, um, just just being just being aware and being alert and passing on the, the right information. I know that there has been information that hasn't matched in terms of different areas. So people do get confused. Well, well they were confused as to what was happening. Um, the businesses in town that, that were affected by COVID, um, the city did really well in rallying around, making sure that we were able to keep a lot of businesses open. I will say that um, I will comment on what a lot of people don't want to comment on, which are the businesses that were fined that did not follow guidelines. Um, I think we gave them too much publicity, so to speak, if that kind of makes sense. In terms of, oh, let's make, you know, so-and-so didn't comply, so-and-so didn't comply, so-and-so didn't comply, and then you had, you know, the fines imposed uh, via the, the, the Liquor Commission, and some people thought that that had no place, but when, you know, you have guidelines, and it's a public safety issue, and if you don't follow them, then there are going to be consequences, but is it really a consequence when you can just kind of dig in your pocket, shell out a few bucks, and and keep it moving? I don't think that's really you know, a consequence where you have businesses that, that complied and people that are concerned about the, the general public's health and safety. Not saying that business, that some businesses didn't, but it there are guidelines of operation just for fun. You know, they were set to protect the public. And the businesses that followed those guidelines, uh, you know, a lot of those have, they, they've suffered a lot more, but to kind of highlight 
the couple of businesses that were defiant. I, can't, I really just think, you know, it's, it's, it's an energy thing for me. And I really just think we should have poured the, the city should have poured the energy into the businesses that were suffering and complying. Everybody was suffering. That's a, that's a, a no brainer. And it's across the board that all businesses were suffering, but those that were suffering and complying, I kind of feel like we should have done a little bit. And, um, you know, I've talked to a couple of small business owners that weren't aware, you know, when the second round of, of aid was, was out and released. So, and then there's the misconception that the aid is, is, is specific for certain industries. Um, that is something that um, I think that is also, that was a little detrimental because people, you know, don't apply for the funding because they don't, they go into things thinking I can't, or this isn't for me. So I just, just think when it, when it comes down to COVID and what we can do, I personally hate that COVID was even, it has even become a political matter when in all actuality, it is just a public and safety, health and safety matter. You know, there are people who have gone, you know, gone to school and studied infectious diseases and they are the experts. And I just kind of think it's a thing of knowing when to listen and follow instructions and knowing when that it is for your own good, as opposed to it just being someone pointing their finger telling you what to do. So I'm, I'm glad, glad on a couple of these pieces you said, because there was a couple of questions I did want to ask around COVID, just listening to you kind of here. Um, so on the businesses specifically, um, it's, if I'm, if I'm understanding you, it sounded like you're saying, uh, we should have focused more of our energy and effort on rewarding or helping those businesses that were following the rules, uh, using your words there, to, to that were doing the right thing, and less of our energy on those that weren't following the rules, right? Right, um, because you got, if, you got, if, you got if, if I'm, sorry, um, go ahead, Jerry. No, no, I, I, and and so then, if I was also hearing you correctly, it sounds like on the flip side, uh, you were saying that you know, the businesses that um, weren't following the rules using the liquor commission um, and, and putting the fines, you, you're fine with that. You support that. You felt that it wasn't though. Um, it, it was pocket change or in that pocket change. It's not the right word, but you know what I'm saying where it was yeah. probably not enough punishment. If, if I don't want to miss summarize what you're saying. But I mean, it you, sounded you, like you were saying like, yeah, you're getting it. You're not miss summarizing. It, it, it's more of a, it's, it's more of an imposing, a punishment is more of imposing a punishment that doesn't really make it deem a punishment. You know, it's like you paying the fine and it, some businesses would have struggled to have to have paid that fine. But there are some businesses right, that, that's like, uh, how much is the fine? Okay. Write a check, send it to them and also restock so we can open back up tomorrow again. You know, it's that, that, yeah, you did summarize it correctly. You, you did. Okay. Well, and, and so then I guess that's where my mind goes to the, you know, the, the critics that would say, um, hey, we shouldn't be using liquor commission or, or there shouldn't be fines necessarily um, because some would say, you know, hey, the health department is is the, the you know, the experts and they're the ones saying what should and shouldn't happen and, and punishments should be coming from there. Um, it, it sounds like you're kind of in the camp where you're saying like, hey, no, I'm fine with the liquor commission but we um, find with the health department, but we need to have teeth to, to whatever, you know, your, your, uh, if, if the law says X, Y, Z and you don't do it, we need to have teeth. Is that, is that kind of where I'm hearing yet? 
Yes. Could, could, could you imagine a business owner being quote unquote fined, scolded or reprimanded by the health department immediately? What's the first thing they're going to say? Health department has no jurisdiction over my business in terms of being that entity. But, you know, if you're a business that you've got to answer to the liquor commission, that is going to kind of wake you up. If the liquor commission has to step in and say, okay, health department says this, you didn't do what the health department says. So we can impose that fine. That fine is kind of that was that kind of that hopefully should have been that, that poke to that business to say, now will you listen? Because the health department can, the health department can, you know, they, they, they issue recommendations as to what, you know, as to what we should follow. And if, you know, people are saying that the liquor commission shouldn't oppose all five, then what, what was the alternative? Well, couldn't, couldn't the health department shut somebody down, um, you know, for, for safety, just, just in the same way they do for food inspection. If, if, you know. Right. <laughs> they, they can shut them down for safety, but then they would have to go and then it'll be to me, obviously health department shuts them down for safety. Then they're going to turn right back around to the liquor commission and say, Hey, what's going on? There it's, it's going to be the, when, when it's time to hand out punishment, it's like being a two parent household. It's time to hand out the punishment. It's like, okay, you know, kind of usually patriarchy takes over. Dad makes the rules. Mom enforces them. Everybody gets mad at mom, but really dad made the rule. But when dad says, hey, this is what I have to do. And I've, I don't make me force my hand. It's kind of like, okay, we're going to find you first to kind of say, hey. Don't do it again. I mean, a, a, a little small fine compared to the levels that it could end up being. And then you run the issue of, again, the, the monitoring. If, if the health department is going to be the one to do all of the monitoring, it's, it's do we need the liquor? Do they need the help of the liquor commission? Can the liquor commission... And, you know, impose the fines or do the monitoring on their own. It's, you know, and it's one of those things where we we saw it happen where everybody's like, well, so-and-so was open at this time and they had this many people. You've got people that are actually going into businesses with the sole purpose of seeking out those who are not complying. So it's a matter of if we know we have businesses that are not going to comply, what what is the step that we're going to take? At, at what point does the health department and the liquor commission come together to say this particular business, they sell liquor. They're not complying. Are we going to find them? Are you going to shut them down for safety? Because then you have that list of flat out. What are the safety violations and going through them with a fine tooth comb to say, okay, you've, you know, you had X amount of people at your bar when they shouldn't have been and there, you know, there were no masks worn, da 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 You've got to go through that whole tedious list of what is, and you can't have people interpreting what... And it, and it shouldn't just be necessarily talking about restaurants, bars, et cetera. I mean, no. that's, that's, the, that's the obvious one, but I'm thinking barbers or a service and that's the thing is how how is the money so it's like it's like that one immediate it's like the fines like a quick fix to to hopefully you can't i wouldn't say stop it in its tracks the infractions stop them in their tracks but kind of thwart the plan to continue along the path that they're going so 
and then I lost my train of thought. Um, oh, sorry. Hey, uh, I want to make sure we, uh, I'm glad we got to delve into that one. Cause like you said, it was a hot button topic getting a little close to end here. So I, I did want to touch on, um, one other thing that caught my attention in the lightning round, um, you're talking about the, um, connect transit building. You were thinking about the, the connect transit location. You said Panagraph building. So, um, Panagraph, yeah. yeah. So, um, I'm more than like the, uh, the specific location I'm interested in kind of your thought process of like how you weigh the, the pros and cons and come up with that as your, your recommendation. Well, I'll tell you, it wasn't. I didn't sit up and like write out the list and say, okay, if we do oh, this. Sure. Yeah. Just but, what's your thoughts around so, that? Like, like, okay. So I for? think the transfer station number one is a super necessity, right? So me coming from Chicago with, you know, the huge transit um, system that they have there when I moved here, it was a complete shock to me. And when I moved here, I was not a licensed driver. So I was on the bus and I can tell you it was, not fun riding the bus from Sunnyside to the YWCA with a toddler. Not the most fun. So to see where Connect Transit has gone from and to where we are today to like, it, it's amazing to me to even see like the little seats that they have on the bus stops for riders. Mm-hmm. So the transfer station, oh, definitely a necessity because you can, you can do, you know, you can do so much other than just have it as a transfer station, you know? Um, so when I looked at the three locations, uh, options for the transfer station, you know, the first thing that came out, I was like, oh, that would be cool to use the Market Street garage. You know, it's owned by the city. But then I thought about it and I was like, eh, parking downtown is kind of rough. You know, <laughs> we might need to just kind of redo the parking garage, leave it where it is so we can have more parking for downtown because uh, yeah, me and my cane will hobble downtown before I drive. <laughs> um, I just think that, you know, I, I was drawn to the pan, the, the Panagraph location. It just seems to be there's a, a lot going on on that end uh, of downtown. Um, it's, you know, a little bit closer. I'm impartial. Anytime it's on the other, anything on this side of Main Street, I'm claiming it as the West <laughs> west side. So it, I just think that, that, that when I looked at the three different locations to me, that just seemed to be a little bit more feasible. Um, the C2 East location, um, I didn't, I'm not opposed to it being at the location. I mean, that building has been sitting there empty for uh, quite some time. Yeah, a while and it's not pretty at all. So I mean that would I mean that location would be my second choice if if I were to say, you know, give my opinion on that. I like that location, but just the need for the transfer center, mm-hmm. I kind of like the idea of you know the central hub because I know what a transfer center, you know, what what that hub looks like, you know, from the you know, the Chicago Transit Authority at the 95th Street station where everything comes to that one central location. So I think it is a, a really big need, um, given that, you know, I used to ride the bus and get off at the mall and that whole turnabout thing in the back of the mall was a complete and utter mess. So sure. I look forward, even though I'm driving now, I still look forward to, the, you know, it being the transfer station and, you know, centrally located there, but not, for, unfortunately, not on city-owned property, but. No. All right. Well, um, is there any big issue that we didn't touch on or big point that you want to make sure that we hit before we wrap up here? 
Um, no, no big issues. I just, I just want people to know that, um, even, you know, even if it's not for me, I really want people to, to vote. I mean, it's, it's almost, it's really disheartening, Mm -hmm. you know, to kind of see where we are as a community in terms of, of being, you know, politically engaged. Um, I also want people to know that, you know, it's, I'm, I'm like everybody else in Ward 7. I'm just a regular person. And it you don't you don't have to be connected to organizations and political parties to to want to serve your people and want and want better for yourself and for the people around you. And that's why I ran. You know, if 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 regular people aren't inspired to run, then we're, you know, we won't see anything different. We won't see a different city council. We won't have the perspectives that we need, which needs to come from a, a different set of dem- demographics collectively. And I think that will be the way that we can, you know, I don't like to use the word cooperate. Uh, I like to use the word collaborate because that's what the city council is. It's a collaboration to, ma- to, to make our city better. And, you know, it, it's, it's just time to stop all the rah-rah and put everything aside and just really get down to business. And, you know, you can't, you, your city can't grow if your people can't grow. And that's just kind of how I feel about everything. So I'm just really running on just being a people person. Hey, Coretta, if you if people want to uh, learn more about you, reach out, help out, volunteer, donate, how do they get in contact with you? Know, what, what's what's the best way to contact you? Sure. Uh, on Facebook, uh, my Facebook page is Coretta Jackson for Ward 7. I am also on Instagram. And then my website, uh, it would be my first and last name, and it's dot Wix. W-I-X dot com. Okay. Perfect. We're going to put those in the show notes of the episode. So uh, <clears throat> thanks a lot for coming. And also thank you again to Little Beaver Brewery for your sponsorship of the episode. They uh, have got a great new restaurant that they are offering in there with some excellent food. They got burgers. They got um, oven they got like this real thin crust pizza that's really good great appetizers to go along with it and um so you should head on out there to five finance drive check them out they're open every day uh, lunch and dinner and they, they take reservations too if you're concerned about getting a spot got everything all spaced out socially distanced appropriately so um go down and, and check them out support them because they support us and if you think about it tell them you heard about them on pod and let them know that we're reaching some people and, and Tyson Tyson says it's the top five burger he's ever had in his life out it's, there, which which we were questioning. I, I haven't been able to get out there and get it, but I've got to go now to check it out. It top is a, five burger is a heck of a claim. I I, I I try not to. I try to keep it straight <laughs> with people here. It's not just an advertising thing. I was telling people that before they sponsored it, too. I was blown away by the Little Beaver Burger. It is delicious. They have like this. It was like a bacon mayonnaise and some jalapenos on there and it was it was really good so um i went out there again and i was trying to like be a little bit more responsible i got a steak salad and i was like <laughs> i should have gotten that burger i was like, missed opportunity i need to go out again soon so well, yeah. fun fact i'm a vegetarian so if i go i'm gonna have to search the menu for something good <laughs> yeah they got um yeah i think they got they got some pretty good pretzel bites they got some like little uh they have mozzarella balls, but they're not like breaded in the like normal breading stuff. It's like a piece. It looks like a 
like almost like pretzel bread around the outside of it, a bunch of mozzarella on the inside. So there's some vegetarian stuff out there too. Mm. They'll have some uh, spinach, some uh, dipped spinach, uh, or spinach dip when Coretta gets done with them being out there. Yeah. So all over it, all over it, <laughs> all over it. <laughs> well, I think you've won over every spinach lover in the city. You got, definitely got the spinach vote locked down. And, uh, <laughs> good luck, February 23rd, get out there and vote in the primary and then April 6th, and uh, find ways to get involved in your community. All right, thanks, thanks for a lot coming, for coming on. on, Greta. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks, Tyson. You guys have a good night. Thank you.